Don't turn a blind eye You can hear the people cry Wake up and be strong And fight for what is wrong Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of Bold Conversations About Race I'm Michael Swaim, your nominal host and by far the least compelling voice you're about to hear. But I do serve some functions up here at the top. First of all, I want to let you know about the format of the show. Every episode will include a brief introduction, a piece by a socially conscious artist focused on the justice movement, an interview with a very special guest, as well as voices and sounds from the front lines of activism, usually centered around a topic. This week's topic is Black Xmas and police brutality, and the From the Field portion was gathered during a recent action at the Los Angeles Hall of Justice designed to remove L.A. County District Attorney Jackie Lacey from office. The other thing we want to stress is that for your convenience, Bold will be heavily footnoted. If you hear a link mentioned, an organization, an important article, even a reading recommendation, you can find all that information in the show notes on the page associated with this episode. And you'll be able to find all show notes on all Bold episodes going forward at the Small Beans Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash smallbeans. So before we get started with the show proper, I wanted to talk a little bit about why Small Beans, myself, Abe, and all the beans you've come to know and love, were interested in getting involved in this project and collaborating with White People for Black Lives and Surge National. And it basically goes back to the roots of our organization, Small Beans, which is only just a year old as of this month. Hooray! And it exists solely because of an incredibly organic Uh, movement of a community of fans towards content that they liked. But something that really struck both Abe and myself as the as we sort of grew our numbers was in the Discord, which are basically our forums, our boards where all the beans come and chat with each other. And it was striking and deeply moving how immediately connections were formed. And the connections were formed naturally, organically, and always almost always seem to be based on love and coming from a place of extreme empathy, sometimes for strangers who live literally on the other side of the planet. And we've just generally been deeply moved by not thinking that our group is especially special, this quality that humans have to want to empathize and want to help Uh, And yet we look around and a lot of, at least our country, is shit. It's just a garbage fire. So clearly there's a step beyond wanting to help. Uh, A lot of us, especially white Americans, have the, uh, the privilege and the luxury to care a lot, but also be very busy and just focus on our jobs and go like, well, if I didn't have this and that and this, I could do more. So this is our attempt not only to do more, but to capitalize on that common pool of empathy that we've seen develop uh, around our community. So consider this an educational opportunity, but also hopefully something that helps you uh, get your passion up, engage more, and make that leap, bridge that gap. Uh, It's really here for you for wherever you are in your activism journey. Uh, As long as you're not an asshole, we're going to get along. And to talk about 
how we snagged this amazing opportunity, I am now going to pass it over to Dahlia Frolito, the co-founder of White People for Black Lives, to talk about why their organization wants to be involved and what it's all about. Tear gas on the border. The tears of families mourning another black death at the hands of the police. Mass incarceration and white supremacists rising in the streets. If there was ever a time for us to use caution, that time has long passed. Now is the time for bold conversations, and now is the time to act. What's up, y'all? This is Dahlia here. As Michael mentioned, I am a white, queer, anti-racist organizer and co-founder of White People for Black Lives out in Los Angeles. White People for Black Lives is a white anti-racist collective and activist project of the Alliance of White Anti-Racists Everywhere, also known as AWARE LA. And if you're wondering why we organize white people, you can check out a Why a White Space document that we have listed on our website at awarela.org. We operate within a national network of white anti-racists called Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE. Our work is rooted in showing up for racial justice and acting in alliance with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles and the Movement for Black Lives nationally and other solidarity partners. And SURGE is a national organization working as part of a multiracial movement to undermine white support for white supremacy and to help build a racially just society. We came together with Small Beans to create a show that dives boldly into really important issues that impact all of us every day. And we thank Michael and the Small Beans team for opening up this platform to us. And yes, y'all, we are talking about race and we are talking about justice. History has shown me that you'll get hurt and lonely. And now, our art piece. A spoken word poem by Alicia Wise, about whom you can find more information at notacult.media. I am certain I do not ignore black death, but I am afraid I will grow too accustomed to the smell. My screen is a funeral on fire. The more I stare, the more I am forced to hold my breath so as not to inhale the smoke. The more I stare, the more I am forced to grab the mask, approach the altar. You've been borrowing me for so long I forgot to demand myself back, demand my life, demand my joy, demand my reparations. I was caught somewhere between freedom and not really being free. I found me sinking in a university lecture hall, feeling all mama I made it, all hands raised, eager, submissive, begging for a seat at a table I set. This is no longer a request to build us a house. We have died so much before we have died. We have come back the hammer. We are rebuilding ourselves into a home. I tried to write a poem about dying, 
while residing under a house weaponized where America is the gun, but writing about America is a trigger. So I channel my students, how black kids create change. I think of the irony in the more a black child creates, the less people want to listen to their stories. I watch them bloom into a flower. I watch some begin to correlate flower with tainted thing. I watch how they become afraid of themselves in a country, a world that is afraid of them. And I fear a day when they may desperately beg for their bodies back. Do not request to live, young people. Demand to be alive, to not Power at the edge of a garden, but instead create yourself a crown out of the roses. I am auntie, I am woman, I am black, I am queer black woman, and I have died, and we have died, and we have died so much they thought we were dead. I think of injustice. I think of when they tell us to leave if we don't like it, but those are our fingerprints on a wall and the blood of the natives in the carpet, and those are our legislative signatures, and this is my Camden, New Jersey dialect teaching the children America. We are no longer asking for permission. You are writing us a check made out to the years of silence. How it entered us, forced its way onto our tongues, became our narratives we have never authored. We know how it can bleach a map. So I am writing our way home. We know how it readies our fists, makes them heavy and justified. All right. Well, it is my extreme pleasure and honor to be joined in the studio that is my studio apartment uh, by Dr. Molina Abdullah, who is the chair of Pan-African Studies at CSULA and co-founder of Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. Thanks for being here, Molina. Thanks for having me. Uh, the first thing I want to ask, just to sort of dive in, the focus of the show is uh, helping people engage who are full of love and empathy, but either feel they don't have the time to engage or haven't engaged for any number of laundry list reasons so far. So I want to ask, what first in your life brought you to activism? And day to day, what, what keeps you in it? What keeps you so passionately engaged with activism? So I was born into activism. I'm from Oakland, and I was born in the 70s, even though I'm 29, so don't mm -hmm. let the math fool mm -hmm. you, right? Um, my dad was a union activist, and my mom was a community other mother, and so there was never a time when I wasn't active. I um, always say I was born on a picket line. I remember being mm -hmm. a little tiny girl, and um, you know, union picket lines, my dad was a carpenter, and so okay. I remember that and um, remember being active from birth, pretty much. Um, what keeps me in it is um, it's where I feel like we have the most opportunity to make the kind of difference that we need to make in the world, right? And what keeps me in it is there's hella fun people in <laughs> activism, it's fun. And it gives us permission to like cuss out the police, right? Sure. So, you know, yeah. those are the kinds of things you get to do when you're an activist, not so much if you're like working at the makeup counter at Macy's, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and of course the need is there, but I think I wanna key in on the second thing you said, which is uh, that you feel like there is an impact. Uh, I think a lot of, especially white Americans, uh, have had the ability to sort of feel like a lot of apathy seems to breed out of the idea that, oh, well, what I, whatever little I do is not going to make a difference to these 
uh, centuries old systems that have been, you know, ruining people's lives left and right since time immemorial. But as someone who's been involved so deeply in activism for so long, obviously you see hope in the activity you're doing, or you wouldn't still be founding new organizations and engaging in the work. So uh, I would just love if you could speak to some of the some of the things that give you hope and what you see with activism that's happening today. So I think I have more than hope, right? Mm -hmm. I have faith and I have historical knowledge, right? That activism works. We don't engage in it because we don't have anything better to do, right? Mm -hmm. It is fun. There's great people who are a part of it, but also we have a vision for the kind of world we want to live in. And if you think about the history of activism, you know, people who engage in activism ended chattel slavery, right? People who engaged in activism won the right to vote for women. People who engaged in activism won civil rights and black power and unions and all kinds of things. It's only through activism that we've won these things. So activism doesn't just give me hope. I don't just have hope that we'll win. Mm -hmm. I also know that it's the only way that we'll win. You have receipts. You yeah, have to, I have you receipts. Have Look, we just, we just uh, won a victory, right? Yeah. Um, so Charlie Beck, our former police chief, who is the former police chief, mm -hmm. because we were active, because we demanded that he step down, he was talking big stuff about how he was going to serve out his term, how he's never going to step down early. But because we were active, because we were everywhere, because we were banner dropping and sending postcards and calling the mayor and engaging in activism, he is no longer the police chief of the city of Los Angeles. So that's a recent receipt, right? Yeah. That activism works, right? Absolutely. Uh, and that brings us very nicely. You're very good at this. <laughs> Segway setup, nailed it. Uh, to basically the central topic of this particular episode, uh, which is going to involve, well, our field pieces from the Lacey action. Uh, so I do want to talk a little bit about D.A. Lacey, but in broader terms, just the history of police brutality in America. Uh, I think a lot of folks certainly recognize it, it's getting highlighted more and more in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think people should mistake that for the fact that systematic police brutality is resurgent or a new trend in the last 10 years. Uh, could you speak to sort of like the long history of policing in America? Right. So people are always jarred when we go, well, uh, policing comes from slave catching. And they go, what? And then they act like we're making some super revolutionary radical statement because they've never read a book, right? Right. <laughs> it's if you haven't heard that, you're like, why would you say that? Right. That's weird. You're just because saying that. Because it's true. It, it's That's why accurate. we're saying yeah. it, right? <laughs> Um, and so we need to understand that policing was designed to produce the outcomes it does. Policing was designed to put a target on black folks back, right? Policing was designed to entrench and it, uh, systems and entrench profits for the ownership class, right? That's what policing was designed to do, mm -hmm. right? And so from the very beginning, when we had patty rollers in this country, right, who um, were... Um, charged with finding enslaved folks, formerly enslaved folks who had taken their own freedom and returning them to their supposed owners, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about targets on black folks' backs, right? And then as you move forward, it just kind of modifies as the systems modify, right? Of course, other groups get lumped in. Uh, yeah, obviously there's a heavy economic component 
right. my my ratings on the subject, which I'm sure are not as in depth as yours, but it's really striking to me that I don't think it's a revolutionary statement as you learn and learn and learn to say that. Uh, the police are essentially an army for rich people right. who will occasionally save your kitten from a tree. Like, yes, there are functions. That no, are, that's firefighters that save kittens from right. trees. Well, we like know. firefighters. We don't like police, right? I think yeah, there's an, uh, no yes. police has ever climbed a tree to save a kitten. <laughs> Possibly not. Thank you for calling me out on that. But I do want to speak to uh, that reverse impulse, you know what I mean, which is I think people... Uh, often imagine what is by far the statistical like not going to happen to you is like but what if a crazy serial killer breaks into the house it's the one time you want police there if you're, you're an already white did person. so if, a, if <laughs> you're not gonna have time to call them if that happens but that's sure. also not why most people call police i was on a panel recently up at berkeley and there was a researcher there who was saying that over 90% of calls to police are for things like, Mm -hmm. my neighbor is playing the music too loud. So what can you do? You don't have to call the police when your neighbor is playing the music too loud. You know what you can do? Go next door and say, can you please turn down the music? Mm -hmm. Or go next door and join the party, right? Form a connection with the community, yeah. (laughs) Right, exactly, and so we act like it's there's no alternative to police but more than 90 percent of the time the police aren't there to save you and that's really what i wanted to get at is the very few functions that are defensible i still feel like there's an infinitely better system out there than the police system that we have um so how have you seen ways in which communities have come together to effectively defend themselves against police brutality or uh begin to eat away at or dismantle those systems. I know you wanted to speak on that. Right. So, I mean, I think it's really important that we understand that the work that we've been doing over the last five years as Black Lives Matter has been effective, right? Mm -hmm. So not just getting the police chief to retire, but also shining a light on police brutality. Everybody is aware of what's happening. Everybody is aware that black people are being killed by police. So when you call police on black people, you are really saying, I'm okay with that, right? Everybody's aware of it now, right? So that's important. But also, we're putting police on their toes that they know that we're watching, right? What we haven't been successful at yet is getting cities and getting communities to divest from policing. Large cities are spending over 50% of their general funds on police. In Los Angeles, we spend 53% of the city's general fund on LAPD. Wow. Right? What could we be spending those dollars on instead? And so we need to be thinking about when you're spending 53% of your city budget on LAPD, you're not spending it on quality after-school programs for children. You're not spending it on mental health resources. You're not spending it on livable wage jobs, intervention programs, prevention programs, um, uh, substance abuse programs, ending houselessness, right? All of these things that actually create safer communities. That's the thing is that if you actually want to, if what you want is stability and safety and equity in society, all these things upstream from the problem. I mean, this is why... Doctors push preventative care rather than don't come into the emergency room when the tumor's like weighing your head down to the ground. Uh, Care about the health of your community as well in the same way. I I just want to 
applaud that and say that like yeah it seems uh, something i think a lot of people need to embrace and recognize is that the police uh show up when something's already going wrong and right. that is an incredibly inefficient and expensive way to try and minimize the number of things that go wrong there's so many other ways to strengthen the community as you said and sort of uh support people who are in peril in danger falling through the cracks of society in any way addiction recovery support like you said uh are just i just think uh that's something that a lot of people need to wake up to is the idea of police being the equivalent of well that's like the emergency room if your leg is already broken in half that should be the last thing on your mind when right. someone's selling lemonade you know on the front walk and you don't like it there's a million steps in between here and there. Absolutely. Um, and I do, I do think uh, it's positive that social media, as you said, has allowed people that do care at least to make uh, basically notorious villains of, you know, permit patties and people right. like, because that right. is, it's pretty despicable. I think we can all agree. So let me ask specifically about D.A. Lacey, because one of the things I noticed uh, in researching her was I was pretty outraged by Charlie Beck's total adherence to police are always good and nothing can be done wrong by them. Uh, and D.A. Lacey has even refused to prosecute, in one case, I think, an officer that Charlie Beck recommended be prosecuted. So if you could just elucidate, get get my listeners pissed off. Right. <laughs> What's going on with the Los Angeles D.A. at the moment? Why is BLM there every Wednesday? Sure. So... Um, Jackie Lacey was elected um, basically because she won the support of some community members who thought that she'd be more of a reformer, right? Mm -hmm. Who thought that she was someone that we could go to and say, you know, um, we know that the DA is never going to be the answer, right? Mm -hmm. But we thought that, um, I think Lacey, we thought that at least when we have um, clearly corrupt clearly problematic, clearly abusive and brutal police that she would try and uh, co convict those officers. Mm -hmm. Under her watch, so she's been in office for, she's in her second term now, right? So she's been in almost six years, right? Under her watch, 430 people have been killed by police. 430 people everybody is like always shocked at Again, that number thing, you're you're getting your number wrong that's can't no be. look yeah, it up yeah, right? right 400 430 folks killed by police in los angeles county in the last six years wow jackie lacy has chosen not to prosecute a single officer in any of those cases that includes the case of brendan glenn where the officer was actually recommended for charges by LAPD. That never happens. That includes the murder of Keisha Michael and Mark Quentin Stanlin, who were unconscious in their car when they were murdered by Englewood police. The five officers who killed them left the seven, seven children without parents. But um, they were also fired from Englewood Police Department. So they're ripe for prosecution. She chose not to prosecute them. Um, even in cases with, there were a seven and nine-year-old brothers who were um, hit and killed by an unmarked L.A. County Sheriff's um, SUV. They didn't have their lights or siren on, and that officer was not charged with any crime. So 430 counts, right? 430 people 
And these are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and daughters and sons, and some of them children, right? Killed by police and not a single officer charge. And we also have to remember that that 430 number is much more in terms of the number of police involved, right? So sometimes people are mm -hmm. killed by multiple police, like Mark Quentin and Keisha, five officers involved. So we can only anticipate that the, uh, if we think about the estimate, we'll estimate that the number is somewhere around over a thousand cops involved. A thousand involved. culpable police officers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And none of them charged. And I don't mean, you know, they weren't convicted. Their charges were never even brought. No process was no. begun. Right. right. There's no recourse and no response right. whatsoever. So when officers are fired for killing someone or for engaging in misconduct, that in itself doesn't stop them from engaging in misconduct or being violent or killing people in the future because that firing doesn't prevent them from getting a job in another police department. And many times when officers are fired from a, sp a particular police department, they get a job in the next town over and they continue these kind of abusive, brutal, and sometimes murderous behaviors in the next police department. So I'm thinking of the case specifically of the murder of Jesse Romero, who was a 14-year-old boy who was accused of tagging. I don't know what 14-year-old has not at some time written with a marker, right, on something other than paper, right? Um, but the killer of Jesse Romero's name is Eden Medina. Eden Medina has been terrorizing the community in Boyle Heights for years. And before, just a few weeks before the murder of Jesse Romero, he had killed another individual from the community, another young man. Jesse's a child, but he killed a young man just a couple weeks before. He wasn't even taken off the streets. And so um, he was permitted by LAPD to kill again. So just um, less than two weeks later, he killed 14-year-old Jesse Romero. And he's still on the force. He still hasn't been prosecuted. He still hasn't been fired. They found the murder of Jesse Romero, this 14-year-old child, to be in policy. And Eden Medina continues to terrorize the community. And he's not the only one. If we look into the histories of these police who kill our people, Oftentimes, they're repeat offenders. So we need them not just fired, but also prosecuted. Because if the officers aren't prosecuted, all that happens is they go to the next police department, right? right? And we know that in the case of Tamir Rice. So Tamir Rice's murderer, Timothy Lohman, was fired from Cleveland Police Department and then goes over a town over to Bel Air, um, Ohio and gets another job. And so what Trisha Michael was saying is we don't want these officers on the street at all. And the only way to ensure that they're not is to get them prosecuted. And so on October 25th of 2017, we um, kind of started occupying, started um, staging demonstrations in front of Jackie Lacey's office, this after a month and a half of asking that she hear the voices of the people. On September 11th, 2017, we um, handed over a petition signed by 10,000 Angelinos saying, can you start prosecuting these officers beginning with the murderers of Keisha Michael and Mark Quentin Sandlin? She refused. October 25th, of last year, we started staging weekly demonstrations and we've been there now for 14 months. And the food is good and the music is good and people should get down there. 
yes. I, yeah, we did a little interviewing for this episode there, and it, despite the rain, it was a very moving uh, event. I, uh, now that I do feel that uh, all the reasonable ears and minds of our audience are probably pretty, pretty, feeling pretty passionate and like they want to get out there and help the situation, uh, something I, I think we'll ask a lot of our guests is, uh, and you've spoken a little bit already to, there's the high profile form of activism that is so crucial and I do think takes a special skill set like the the charisma and confidence you have, say, for example, uh, to speak in front of a large group, to yell what needs to be yelled, you know? Uh, so what are, are there f- forms of activism how can people help this issue, both in L.A. and because uh, there are going to be people listening also who are nowhere near Los Angeles but care very much about this issue since Los Angeles is such an important city. What could they do from afar, if anything? So I always say we need three things from people. We need their voice, right? So it can't just be five people saying, you know, prosecute the police who kill our people. It can't just be the families of those who are killed. It has to be everybody, right? So we need your voice. Use your circles of influence, you know, use your social media platforms and give voice to this, right? We just witnessed the murder of a... um, 20-year-old young man who was accused of shoplifting in Walgreens in Hollywood last week. The security guard murdered him saying that he shoplifted. His friend said he didn't even shoplift. But even if he did... You know the law. Right. Shoplifting, punishable by death. That's always (laughs) been that way, right? Right, right. So we need to be saying it can't just be a few people saying Jonathan Hart, who went by the name Sky, should be alive, Right. Um, It can't just be a few people calling on the name of uh, Albert Ramon Dorsey, who was murdered inside a 24-hour fitness um, on October 29th because he had a verbal altercation. That means an argument, right? right? With an employee. He was naked in the dressing room when 10 LAPD officers burst in and murdered him. 10. 10. To bring down one naked man. One naked man, clearly unarmed, right? Clearly unarmed. (laughs) Right. Uh, And so when we think about those kinds of things, we need everybody to use their voice. We also need people to use their bodies. So what do we mean by that? We mean when you see a post saying, we're in front of Jackie Lacey's office every Wednesday at 4 p.m., don't wait for us to tag you, right? Come, we need Mm -hmm. your body there. You don't have to speak if you don't want to speak. Just the number of people that are there says something. And then finally, we need your resources, right? And so we're in a season that we call Black Xmas, right? Where, you know, I'll call it white capitalism. Robin Kelly and others call it racial capitalism, right? But we need to understand that white supremacy and capitalism go hand in hand. Malcolm X said, you cannot have capitalism without racism, right? So when you think about how capitalism works, right? Um, dividing the working class, but also siphoning off the resources of mm-hmm. the working class, tricking us into believing that this season, the way that you show love to each other is buying people a bunch of stuff that they don't need, right? Buying your auntie an ugly sweater, right? She doesn't need the ugly sweater, Mm -hmm. right? And so we say it's important to be intentional with the use of our resources, right? If black people are being killed inside 24-hour fitness, and they are, right? It's Albert Ramon Dorsey, but last year it was Dennis Todd Rogers killed at another location, another 24-hour fitness location. 
Don't buy anybody. Don't even buy yourself a membership at 24 (laughs) Hour Fitness. When you make your New Year's resolution, go somewhere else, Mm -hmm. right? So be intentional with the use of your dollars. Don't buy stuff you don't need. Don't buy stuff your loved ones don't need. And don't shop at places that literally feed the murder of black people, right? Be intentional with your dollars so your resources can be divested from white supremacist capitalist endeavors and invested in the things that actually build strong, healthy, safe communities. So we say if your folks don't need anything but they're expecting a present, If your grandmother loves music, great. There's a wonderful black-led organization called the Fernando Pullum Center for the Performing Arts in Mm -hmm. Lamarck Park that gives absolutely free music lessons to children. Wow. Why don't you donate $50 mm-hmm. in your grandmother's name to the Pullum Center? And that way you can be feeding something that she loves and actually intentionally using your resources. So it's great if people want to make a phenomenal speech, mm-hmm, do that, mm-hmm. right? But you don't have to do that. Use your voice, your body, and your resources to build the kind of world that you want to live in. Wonderful. And honing in a bit on Black Xmas, how long, like when was that founded? How long has that been a tradition? So in 2014, the mm-hmm. holidays, uh, Christmas season of 2014, right. people rem- will remember that uh, John Crawford was killed inside of a Walmart store in Bre- Beaver Creek, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, John Crawford was just looking at the merchandise inside that store, and someone decided it was dangerous for a black man to be looking at the merchandise inside of Walmart. So Mm -hmm. an employee called the police. The police burst in and murder him in a span of seconds. So we began a boycott Walmart. We're not the first ones to boycott Walmart, (laughs) right? They stepped on some toes around the world. Lots of folks have (laughs) said boycott Walmart. We engaged in the boycott Walmart campaign, but we also said it's bigger than Walmart, right? So that season we decided to launch something called Black Xmas. So in Los Angeles, we've built this blackxmas.org website so that people looking for black-owned businesses can go on, they can click the Buy Black link, and there's a whole bunch of black-owned businesses. We profile a different black-owned business every single day. And so you'll see videos with the business owners, you'll see what they sell, and that's a resource for you, right? Um, But if you're not in Los Angeles, there's also other resources. There's a website called webuyblack.com, webuyblack.com, and you can just look for whatever it is you're searching for, and they have lists of everything from laundry detergent to dolls that are produced by black folks that black folks are selling. And if you don't find what you need there, if you're looking for a restaurant and you don't live in LA and you can't find it, just Google black-owned restaurants, black-owned nail supply, nail shops, black-owned whatever it is you're looking for, black-owned businesses, and you'll find it which is, again, the intentional use of our dollars, divesting our dollars from the companies that benefit from our oppression and that feed our oppression, companies that have policies. Um, Walmart hasn't abandoned this policy, right? (laughs) Just in October, they called the police, um, uh, the Walmart store in Barstow, California, called the police on a young man named Deontay Yarber, 
um, who was in the parking lot and they thought it was suspicious that this black man was in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. They called the police. Deontay Yarber winds up dead, right? And so we need to remember that these companies have actual policies in place where they're calling police on people, on customers, mm -hmm. on people who are in public space, black people in public on, space. Yeah, racial profiling. Right. Essentially. That kill us. Yeah. And so Black Xmas started in 2014, and every year we grow it um, and try to make sure that people are thoughtful about where their dollars are spent. Wonderful. And of course, this show, more than most Small Beans show, will have robust show notes. So if you're listening and trying to write everything down, there will be links to Black Xmas and everything we've discussed. So there's, it's a really good opportunity, I think, for you to do, as Melina's saying, and use your resources at a time when the systems have already groomed you to use your resources. Like you're gonna, you're gonna drop some money at this time of year if you were raised in the Christmas tradition. Uh, this is a way to make it meaningful and make it matter. Rather than, I don't know about you, but I usually sit around with my closest loved ones going, I know you so well, and yet, like, I don't, what do you, and they say, well, mm -hmm. I don't really need anything, or I would take steps to get it because I'm an adult. So I just find, <laughs> as I've aged, I mean, sh of course, spoil your kids. They need, they need magic. They need toys to appear. But uh, when you're well into adulthood, especially, I think it's a good time to make Christmas really matter and really mean something. Uh, and Black Xmas is a great way to do that. Right. And if your kids need something, right, mm -hmm. we also encourage you don't buy it at Walmart. Right? right. Buy it at businesses that are doing something for our community. So what people will find on our Black Xmas website is organizations that you can donate to, but also smaller businesses that sometimes engage in practices that are really restorative to our community. So for instance, when you're trying to find a location to have your office Christmas party mm. or a caterer, right? One of the places that we encourage people to go to is Simply Wholesome, which is healthy food in the black community and they have an employment practice that hires young black people and returning citizens, people who were formerly incarcerated, right? They're not gonna get those jobs at Walmart, right? right? But they will get those jobs at Simply Wholesome. So if you wanna buy things, right, think about places to buy that really kind of contribute to the community. And how cool is that? You're like, you gained so directly as well. This is like a venue, right? right. So. This is a year round, you know, you go there, you find your new favorite place. And every time you walk in, you feel good spending money there it, instead of walking into some chain bar, restaurant or whatever and going, you know, I wonder if TGI Fridays are conscionable or not. <laughs> I don't know. And I've never looked it up, right. you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, just start educating yourselves yeah. on those fronts. Yeah, and sure. this is a great resource. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Melina, for being here. It is time to wrap it up. Yeah. I always want to leave a space in case there's anything I was too ignorant to ask that you want people to know. Um, no, okay. I think you did a great job. And I, I just want to remind people that question you asked at the beginning about activism, right? What you do matters. What you do creates a difference. What we all do creates a difference. And so makes a difference, right? And so every morning when we wake up, let's say, you know, what difference we plan to make, what it is we plan to do to build the world that we envision. Now we take you to the Los Angeles Hall of Justice to hear voices and sounds from a recent action against DA Jackie Lacey. 
Um, so if I could just ask, first of all, what brings you out today specifically to this action versus any other? Um, because my son, Rashario Mack, he was murdered in the Crenshaw Mall back in April. And um, we're here for justice um, at the so-called Hall of Justice. They should rename it the Hall of Injustice. Um, we're trying to remove the inactive um, DA Lacey, who's complicit with all these um, killer cops, and she hasn't prosecuted one and in, in the last five years. Over 400 and some people have been murdered by the LAPD, and not one has been um, brought to justice. Not one. And she, um, as a woman of color, we thought she would be, you know, get in there and fight for some justice, and she's just, uh, she's not helping us at all. And she's not for the people. She's for the police and the corruptness that's going on. And um, she's not helping us at all. And she can't do her job fairly and justly. She needs to get out. Woo! I have another I have cousins. And I'm out here for them. I haven't been on, on, the, on the receiving end of hearing that a family member has been murdered by the police. But I think about my family every time I come out here. And what drives me and what keeps me going out there is thinking about my brother, my nieces and my nephews, my cousins, my uncles, my black family. And the fact that their black lives do matter. The encouraging word is that there's so much to do and it can feel overwhelming. The worst you could do is stay home. The ha More than half the battle is getting out of your home or your comfort zone and showing up. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to even speak. You can participate in the parts that you're comfortable with. And if you don't know, that's okay too. And the other thing is that we're all connected from Black Lives Matter to Cosecha to Food Not Bombs to Veterans for Peace. I mean, you can find the commonality in the suffering and the prayers and to admit to everyone where you go, we're all mourning. We're all mourning since the inauguration and 500 years plus. We just need to get real about not living in anger, not living in sadness, and not living in hate. And let other people do that. We're, we're the white light that the darkness needs to be, you know, uh, brighter for everyone. I'm going to say that that gave me hope. Being here in the rain gives me hope, and that's the medicine. It's you asking me. I'm honored and humbled to, to do this, to participate, because I, I'm going to be here for the people who didn't show up and try to encourage them to show up. Just show up. We had hot chocolate. We had coffee. We had empanadas, veggie, vegetarian, and uh, you know, chicken and beef, and we had uh, pastries, and we had a good time in the sense of from the sadness to the joy and happiness of connecting and finding one another, even in spite of uh, these police officers and sheriffs standing inside the hallways, dry and comfortable, and getting paid to do nothing. <laughs> we just celebrated the um, anniversary of Rosa Parks refusing to give up her seat. Um, on December the 1st, um, it was back in 1955, like I said, this is 2018 and we're still, uh, things have gotten worse. They're not 
lynching us like they did back then and shooting us in the back, killing us and just getting away with it. And what what it is, is no no consequences. That's why they keep doing what they do. Like um, when my son was murdered by the killer cops, they sent a whole team and they're all complicit with each other. One one group is supposed to be investigating the other group. Another group is supposed to be watching that group. They're all covering each other's back. They're all buddies. Yeah. They're all buddies. They're all looking out for each other, and it's it's not right. And, and it's like, where where is the justice? It, you know, even my my granddaughter is five years old, and she doesn't even like the police now. It's just it's, sure. It, yeah, it's it's, it's it's no justice. No justice. It is our duty to fight for freedom. It is our duty to fight for freedom. It is our duty to win. It is our duty to win. We must love and protect one another. We must love and protect one another. We have nothing to lose but our chains. We have nothing to lose but our chains. holding weekly actions outside of the Of the Lacey action specifically, yes. okay. So it started in October of 2017, and so in October 2018, we had like a one-year anniversary. We had probably 20 family members out here, yeah. folks who have been killed by the um, LAPD and the Sheriff's Department, and it was an incredibly powerful, moving gathering. We lit candles for all 400 people who had been killed by oh, the... Wow by law enforcement and um and paula was telling me that the the standing first issue obviously they want like we want action but the standing first issue is just for jackie lacy to respond in any way directly to blm right oh yeah so it's I mean, been over a year with no that's insane to me that the depth of it is i'm unwilling to communicate with you totally. about people dying in the community yeah. i don't have even the time to talk about it. No, at the, it, this kind of started because um, BLM sp sponsored a petition that gathered like, gosh, like 10,000 signatures or something mm -hmm. to yeah, that's what she said. ask Jackie Lacey to prosecute killer cops. And she, they got her on the phone, Melina got her on the phone, and she said that she would meet with some of the families. She would not do a community meeting. She'd meet with a couple families. And then the next day she called back and said, "Never mind. I thought it. I thought about it, and I don't think it's. I don't think it'll be productive." Uh, what's up, folks? We're going to end this show with some calls to action. We want to make sure everybody has ways to step up their anti-racist game. So we're going to give you a few different ways to show up. The first is to donate to the Los Angeles chapter of Black Lives Matter. You can do that through crowdrise.com slash BLMLA. If you're in Los Angeles, check us out at www.awarela.org. If you're not in Los Angeles, go to showingupforracialjustice.org and click on the chapters and affiliates section to find a chapter in your area. Also, if you're in Los Angeles, you can come by where we protest the DA every Wednesday from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. at the Hall of Justice. That's 211 West Temple Street in downtown Los Angeles. For those of you who like to read, we got a reading recommendation for you. When They Call You a Terrorist by Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Khan Colors and Asha Bendale. Heartbeats in these streets I feel no Peace, heart beats, heart beats.
Bold is a collaboration between Small Beans and Showing Up for Racial Justice, produced by White People for Black Lives. Our theme song, Heartbeats, was written and performed by Rachel Cantu and Melantopia. 